I'm going to talk about life upon the wicked stage. Now, we know New York City, without being able to give my regards to Broadway, could make us into Poughkeepsie. It is coming back, not Poughkeepsie, Broadway. And now comes Andrew Norlin and Matthew Murphy's book. It's called When the Lights Are Bright Again. And it tells when the lights on the Great White Way went dark and what happened to all the guys and gals who couldn't make a buck and were off work. Okay, life upon the wicked stage. We know New York City, without being able to give my regards to Broadway, could make us into Poughkeepsie. So it's coming back, or it's back, or it thinks it's back. And now comes Andrew Norlin and Matthew Murphy's book, When the Lights Are Bright Again. It's on the book stands. It tells when the lights on the Great White Way went dark. Okay, Andrew, you write that when lights turned dark, you packed your life into a box, locked the door, turned your back on a dream you feared might never be realized. That sounds all great. What does that mean? Tell me about that. Uh, yeah, I was living at home with my parents for the first time in a decade, 24-7, uh, under the same roof, which in and of itself was an adventure, to say the least. And uh, I had this idea for this book, and uh, locking the door in that pause dream was, after I had the idea for the book, I came back to New York, and with no end in sight, really, of Broadway or the theater community coming back, uh, we put all my stuff into a storage unit, and uh, I didn't know when I was going to be coming back to the city that I've been working to live in for for that decade. I got it. Matthew, what was your experience? You know, I work as a Broadway photographer, so for me, all of a sudden, I had no work for, you know, the foreseeable future, and I was really anxious to have a project to collaborate with somebody on and to be part of the community, and so when Andrew reached out with this idea, I jumped at the chance because it would reconnect me with the community that I love so much. What did you do when you were doing nothing? I took a second to pause. You know, I'd been working so hard for a decade. I came here as a professional ballet dancer and then became a photographer. And I'd really been hustling. And so I took it as a sign from the universe to kind of take a second to pause, to breathe. I moved to Beacon, New York. I took a minute away and then kind of resumed once once the time felt right. Okay. What was your experience? Tell me what was your experience when you were in the Broadway scene? What were you doing? Uh, the most recent thing I did was I was on the national tour of, of Kinky Boots, and that really it changed my life. Being being in a show that was uh, touring the country and making people think um, and and changing people's minds from start to finish was something that I think I think before I was in that show, I really took um, our business, our industry and and the, the, the opportunity when you are given the opportunity to, and cast in a show to work for granted. And I think once I was in that show and seeing the ways in which the show was giving back to people and watching it change their minds, it made me think about performing in a very different way. I never really thought of Kinky Boots as a great historical background, but I can understand what you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the show. What was your experience? Tell me, Matthew. Yeah, so I work in advertising for Broadway shows. So kind of anything from the billboards that you see in Times Square to uh, production photos you get in a souvenir book or on a T-shirt or, or something like that, uh, I'm responsible for taking those photos. So I travel all across the world and do you know, production imagery for shows. And so for me, my livelihood had just kind of disappeared. I had spent all of this time working toward it. And... Uh, 
And I, yeah, I just, I was, I'm always excited to collaborate on something, always excited to have some new project. How did you make a buck in the meantime? I dove into my savings for a second and yeah. uh, was I, very. I know the I know the feeling exactly. Yeah. I was very grateful uh, to my husband, and he was he was amazing and helped out when when I needed him to. And uh, yeah, I, I took a breath and and I worked in in other photographic ways whenever I could for sure. Okay, okay, okay. Now, Andrew, what's the reason for this book? Why? Uh, my why was just it came out of me falling apart. And I had a conversation with one of my best friends who I grew up with doing children's theater. And she said, Andrew, you, I'm a writer also. And she said, you write about everything else. Why are you not writing about this? And I, I said, I, I thought about that for a very long time and I didn't want to answer her because I knew the, I knew what I was avoiding. And it was just feeling this sort of communal loss. Everybody across the country and the world had been through, through COVID and everybody losing what people and their job. And so when I sat with that, she say, she sort of gave me this permission to to grieve, to grieve the loss of my community and my job and my work. And she said, what if you wrote a letter to yourself? What if you wrote, like when we write an email we're never going to send, but just putting the words into the world makes us feel better and writing it down and getting it out of our brain. And I was like, that is an incredible idea. I should do that. And I was like, no, 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 we all should do that. And that's how it sort of was born. Okay, between the two of you, nobody's going to know whose voice is who when <laughs> on the radio. But what I need to know is give me some experiences from the theater people you guys, you guys have t- talked to. Pick something. I don't care what. You know, I think one of the one of a really a really interesting story that we found in the book is someone named Jake Ryan Flynn who is in Mrs. Doubtfire, and he was 12 years old when the shutdown happened. He was actually the first letter that Andrew received when he uh, asked for submissions. And as a 12 year old playing a 12 year old on Broadway, he had no clue what his life was going to be like when or if his job returned. And so he really kind of pondered what this experience was of dealing with loss at a young age, dealing with the potential. 12 years old, what's his problem? I mean, he, what he, what does he want to know? Where is he going to get the next chocolate? What, what, what? <laughs> he had what put his, he, had, he had put his heart and soul into oh, this job. Oh, 12, for God's <laughs> sakes. Yeah, 12 year old, A 12-year-old's experience yeah. is valid. Yeah, okay. Um, and he, you know, he was just curious whether it would happen, whether it would his dream would come true, and that pain was real for him. So he was really kind of left left alone in New Jersey and and trying to to figure out, as we all were, what was going to be next. He grew six inches during COVID, and he thought he he writes about that in his letter about he's like I'm afraid the producers are going to say you don't get to come back to this role that you originated in this show that hasn't even opened on Broadway. They were just in previews. So it's just, I, I loved receiving that letter. As, as Matt said, that was the first re- letter that was submitted. And it reminded me why I love to perform. It reminded me of the, of what it's like to come at what you love from a naive point of view, kind of like what you just alluded to. I, it reminded me to stop thinking about the noise and the business part of it. And to think about it from this child's perspective of, I just like to be on stage and bring people joy and to make them smile. And that's why we go to the theater. That's why we want live performances at a chance to escape the BS of the real world. And that's what he was writing about. I loved it. I understand that. On page 159, I remember reading that a, a person called Stephanie Bissett, if, that, if I'm pronouncing it. Stephanie Bissett, yeah. She says she missed, quote, the rush of nerves in the wings before she went out. Now, that I understood. I've been in show business all my life. And people who are sitting out front don't understand that there is a nervousness when you're standing in the wings. You're terrified. Your palms are wet. But nobody sitting out front knows that. Yeah. 
So did you ever feel the rush of nerves in a, in the wings? Oh, yeah. I, I, st- I still get nervous when I go on stage. And I love that you brought up Stephanie's letter because what I love about her story is that she talks about um, – overcoming cancer and returning to returning to Broadway after she contracted cancer and fought it and beat it and came back to Broadway stronger. And that's, that's what I love about the book is it's humanizing the people in the community that people just see as these performers that work hard on a stage. It's, it's showing the humanity that like we're struggling behind the scenes, just like you are in your day-to-day life, that it's bigger than show business. That's what the book is about. Audiences never thought of things like in the book, uh, uh, Barbara from Baltimore, I don't know who these people are, says that waking up at 9 a.m. feeling the panic of Tech Week before every show opens. I know what Tech Week is. You have to explain to listeners what she means by Tech Week and how she misses it. Yeah, so I think in the same way that you're talking about the kind of anticipatory rush of about of the time when you're about to go on stage tech week for a performer is when all of the kind of uh different aspects of the show are finally coming together you're in the theater for the first time you're feeling the lights for the first time you're hearing the orchestra you're getting to try on your costumes you're doing all of these big firsts and so it's all of these momentous occasions in a show that are kind of condensed into one like seven to ten day period and all of a sudden that was just completely gone this kind of energy that you've craved and, and feed it on your whole life was just nowhere to be found. What did she do? What did this person do during this two years? I'd have to look. I don't remember. Truly, oh, oh. there's so many submissions. I, I don't remember everybody's. Uh, okay, okay, okay. By heart. <laughs> okay. Another one that I remember because I read the book, Lauren from Texas. I don't know who these names are because they're first names only and from cities only or, or states. She said that missing memories, like the roaring sound of applause, that was like the vibrations shaking the floor. I know what that's like. Yeah. I also know what it's like to bomb and not have it. <laughs> yeah. We and all the know. Quiet, yeah. <laughs> the real lousy quiet. Yeah, like I know about that. But what do you do? How do you replace that in your life when you don't have it anymore? How? Right. That's that's what I was so inspired by receiving being on the receiving end, if you will, of these letters and and having to deal with sort of the 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 huge array of emotion that's coming from people, whether they be celebrating joy in their life, whether they be sharing heartache with not being able to become pregnant. The stories were so vast. But what I love is people's willingness to share how much they miss the stage, but also share about what they're struggling with during COVID. Cause I think that is like, to me, that's the nugget. And that's the special, that's the reason I made the book is that it's told from the lens of the Broadway and theater community across the country with a few people from across the world. Um, but it's not about the, the book is not about show business. You will find any listener that's listening today will find themselves in these letters from people sharing what, they miss about their job and and what it's like to just be isolated and people share their their stories about pivoting and finding new things and people starting new businesses and entrepreneurship it's just very or having kids or spending more time with their kids it's it's everything name the book again so people know what it's like give me the name of the book the book is when the lights are bright again and give me your names i'm matthew murphy the photographer and, and i'm andrew norland the creator okay between the two of you eloise from Oklahoma. She says, in a world without theater, what do you love? It's murder. What is New York without Broadway? Yeah. And what is Broadway 
right now. It's still, it's still a fractured creation. Yeah. It is, but I think what's what's impressive about the community right now is that everyone's really bonding together and really doing everything they can to be safe and to get everything back up and running. I think we heard a fact the other day that was, I think it's like 39 of the 42 Broadway theaters are full right now, which is an incredibly impressive considering how quickly we've come back. You know, What do you mean full? Full uh, backstage or full out front? Meaning that there's a, a show in the theater. But, okay, my job is to cover a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I, not being 12 years old anymore, being a bit more senior, are not feeling so secure about sitting in a theater with a mask on for three hours with somebody coughing next to me or somebody spitting uh, behind me. So I also have reservations. I'm not the only one. Yeah. I think uh, as someone that has now the Broadway has reopened as of uh, late August this year and has I, I myself has been, have been to many shows um, – I feel content walking in and knowing that uh, that everyone around me is fully vaccinated, that everybody has their mask on. The, the, the theaters and the, the staff, I have to give a huge shout out to the people behind the scenes that don't get any of the glory at all of these theaters are working so hard to make sure the audience is safe and is, is having an experience that is as close to what it looked like before. Um, but in this new in this new normal and season that we're in until until we can get out of it. How did you garner all of this stuff? All of the material for the book? Yeah. So we originally uh, posted – it was a lot of social media word of mouth for us. You know, we both are very active on social media. So I think we started to reach out to people that we knew that we thought might be interested uh, and they would spread the word. It kind of just was one of those things that the minute we got one person involved, they would tell five of their friends that this this was a very therapeutic experience for them and how much it really meant to them to sit down and reflect upon what this period of – of loss, but also this period of gain and other aspects of their life had been like. And so it really was something that we kind of like lit the match and it just kind of caught fire. So what did you ask? What was your ask? The original ask was for a letter submission that was a letter written to yourself reflecting on what the shutdown had meant to you as a, as a theater. Not everybody returned. Not everyone you've spoken to has been back as number one actor and actress yeah, that's very true. I think what's actually one of my favorite things is that the book is still helping the people that wrote these letters and people are not in the same place today that they were when they wrote the letter. And also, sure, like you're saying, Broadway is back, but there are so many people in this book that are still very much unemployed and still very much not back in theater or they're still auditioning. They're still doing their survival job, as we call it in the biz. Like the book, I think, is a perfect reflection forever of a time capsule of this time that we've all been through as a community and as a country and as a world, but also it's a reminder and that's why I created these chapters in it and that's why I wanted it to be sort of digestible and not so overwhelming. What are they doing? Tell me what some people are doing when they're not starring on Broadway. Uh, people are are working at bus and tables. People are – I work at, estate, I work at yeah. Equinox selling real estate. Um, people are – personal trainers and if there is one thing i've learned about people in show business it is that we are tenacious as hell and we we will create space for ourselves that's what this book has become for all these people that wanted to share their vulnerability we will create the space when there is no space so if they're not making any money how are they going to buy this book who (laughs) the people who are in it Oh, oh! The people who are in it—we've sent some books to people that are in it, and and everybody has supported us in in incredible ways. How? 
by buying the book, by reposting things on social media, um, by sharing their letters in, on their social media to to normalize us being expressive about our feelings and what we're going through on well, a day-to-day basis. So many people really got behind the book as well because uh, a big portion of the proceeds benefit the Actors Fund, which yes. in times like this, the Actors Fund is so essential for helping people get back on their feet, helping people kind of however they can. And so... Uh, people have really jumped at the at the chance to be involved in something like that. There's no yeah. way to sell the book inside the theater, is there? The, at the time, we are only in bookstores and online, but, you know, hopefully at some point we could be in a theater. It gets down to logistics of each individual show and each individual theater owner and all of those different aspects have to be checked with. But it's sure. definitely on our radar. <laughs> Okay, so it's not my brilliant idea all by myself. <laughs> no, I figured that out. I'm, I'm quick that way. <laughs> okay, someone whose first name is Lana from Vermont said in your book, it's not always about who you know. It can be to get an, a part on Broadway. It can be how tall you are. It can be the color of your hair. It can be what maybe the director has in mind. This is something that people who are not involved in theater don't know. They don't know all the various things that come together to get even yeah. a cockamamie three-line yeah. heart. They don't know, understand that. Yeah, Isn't that part of it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, any aspect of the theater really does come down to it being kind of catching lightning in a bottle, right? It's the, that perfect moment of being in the room with the right people and all of it kind of gelling at once. But it's definitely any aspect of it is a pounding the pavement day in, day out, working your butt off for that one Big What's break. so great about being in theater? Why? Why don't you just do something else? Why don't you sell armpits or somewhat <laughs> whatever the hell it is? Why? 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 What is this grand, wonderful thought about being unemployed in theater? Tell me, so people will understand. I'm in it all my life. Yeah. But if I didn't make a buck, I'd, I'd find something else. Yeah, I. I'll answer that. Uh, yeah, I fine. have. I, I have asked spent, him, and you're uh, asking. Fine. Uh, I have. I have spent way more time since I graduated college, and spent an arm and a leg, and I'll be feels like I'll be paying that off till the day I die. Um, I've spent way more time unemployed than I have employed, but I have to tell you that the gray areas and the time between my jobs makes me a stronger person and it makes me feel like my job is vacation what are you talking about it makes you a stronger person being unemployed makes you a stronger person yeah how because it makes me tenacious it makes me have to work harder for trying to find where the next job is and it may and you have to embrace the hustle theater people are some of the strongest people in the world and the reason for that is because when people tell us no we keep trying to find the next yes we keep trying to find the door until someone gives us that opportunity because like you just said there's so many things stacked up against you when you walk into that room and they're behind the table there's 15 people ready to judge you because that's their job but you're just trying to show show your talent and show what you love Listen to do to you you're making unemployment a victory i don't really <laughs> <laughs> well no i mean everyone is striving towards making a living out of this out of this career for sure but you talk to even legends and they they share their their times about struggling for example our uh harvey firestein in, in, endorsed the book and is a huge fan of the book and he was uh he has been helped like three or four times i believe um by the actors fund in his story like moments where he was like so like this very 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 well off man in the business that is a household name even he struggled. And like that's what I love about people sharing their stories. And that's what I love about the theater. And I, I perform on stage because I 
can't imagine myself doing anything else. And I would rather bring people joy eight times a week and have to pay off student loans, like I said, till the day I die, than end my life with a bunch of money in my bank account and not have spent my time on this earth making other people feel happy. Oh, God, you're going to make me cry in about 10 minutes. Okay, so now you. Yes. <laughs> you. <laughs> uh, I read the, I read your book, and a guy called Ali Stroker. Is that a guy or a girl? That's a Tony winner, Ali Stroker. She won the Tony for Oklahoma uh, in 2019, okay, I believe. Okay, don't put me down the no. fuck. Ah! <laughs> you're rotten. I'm going to throw you off the f- Sorry. In, in 20 minutes. He, she, it, Stroker, whatever, from Ridgewood says... You must learn to shine even when you're afraid or in pain. So after you've now told me who it is, is that the case? When you're not feeling well, you still have to do your job. But don't we all? Do you mean physically when you're not feeling well? Well, you're saying basically he, it, she is saying that even if you're not up to it, you have to give your all. But I'm finding that we all have to do. We're doing this radio program and we have a problem with our microphone. Yeah. <laughs> so we all have to do our job, do we not? I mean, Absolutely, you're glorifying yeah. the fact that people are in theater. We all have to do this. I think that to me, the book is, is, is glorifying the fact that I wanted to like get rid of the, this veneer of I, w- I wanted to create something where P- an audience member can now buy this book and see that they are. I wanted to get rid of the fame and people are sharing what they love about the theater yeah, because it's through that, the, that I lens. Understand that. Yeah. I, un- I understood that. That that's a that's very interesting about it. When you're not singing or dancing or not rushing to the theater or not shoving on wings, wigs and makeup, what did they all do what are they doing now looking for jobs or forgetting show business i think it's i think it's all of that depended person to person i think you know some people found that taking a minute away from the business they were able to see oh i do have this other passion that i really love and i want to pursue that for a while and i'm happy pursuing that you know i think having this kind of forced hiatus for everybody allowed them to assess things with a freedom to breathe that we all hadn't had in a long time. Because when you're doing the eight show a week grind and when you're in the midst of trying to audition constantly and in the rat race of like fighting for a part for everyone with everybody, I think you can just lose sight a little bit about what your actual goals are and what your actual heart is saying to you. And I think this time really allowed people to reassess. And so some people have gladly pivoted away and some people have doubled down. Is there anyone who would not talk? to you anyone who would not write a letter yeah is there a reason why they would not we actually did have a couple people who when we reached out they would say things like i fully support the projects i love it you know for me i can't really reflect on the past year right now i don't have the thoughts at the time to really sit down and assess what i feel and so i don't feel like my contribution would necessarily be useful um but we never had anybody that we reached out to that wasn't really supportive of the idea. Yeah. Some people bowed out for personal reasons. Right. Well, and what you just said, I think I'm excited for those people that felt like they weren't in a headspace where they could sit down and write a letter to themselves because they weren't willing to face those feelings in that moment. I'm excited for those people to maybe have the book come across their lap or their coffee table in the coming months eventually in their life and and have this space for them to grieve through other people's stories that they can connect to and relate with. I think it's a great idea. Last plug for the book. How much? Where is it sold? When's it out? 
give me the plug for the book. So the book is out now wherever books are sold. You can buy it in Barnes and Noble. You can get it on Amazon. It's forty dollars. It's you know beautifully printed, beautiful photos, incredible letters, and we're really proud of it. And we hope that everyone will take a look. Thank you guys. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Thanks. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.